Welcome back to the Shona Project Podcast. I'm Alison Curtis. And I'm Tommy Darcy. Welcome back. We're having a nightmare today. <laughs> With the technology, the technology. Do you know what, though, Tammy, when I said we were going to be doing this as a topic, talking about building, you know, resilience and confidence in our kids and has our generation of parents kind of let that slide, we knew we'd get a big reaction to this. Like people wanted us to talk about this. When I said to my friends, everyone's like, I want to know the answers to this because I feel like I've let myself kids, my kids down on that front. I think it's definitely one of the areas that I overthink or underthink, just think about a lot and, you know, overthink, am I underthinking it? And um, yeah, I think um, I think we really need to get some clarity on this because we want to raise kids who are aware of their own ability. We want to raise kids that are not afraid to push themselves. We want to raise kids that when we're not around, when they're adults, that we know that they can overcome challenges without us, but we don't want them to go through anything that's hard ever. So those two things are at odds with each other. And it's funny because I think about my own experience and the way I frame confidence or self-worth and how I frame resilience. And I always think about the fact that growing up as far as life skills and being able to do something for myself, we just didn't, my sister and I just didn't really what I thought, I didn't think we learned all of that. And then when mom passed away as a second parent passing away at the age of 19, we were both like, we don't know how to cook. We don't know how to do laundry. We don't know how to do those life skill things. That's what I was associating. But then when I knew we were going to talk about this, I was reflecting a bit more and kind of going, but wait a minute, like we didn't, like we had tough times. It was an awful thing to have happened, but we didn't crumble. We finished our education. We both carried on, we got jobs. So maybe actually our parents had built more confidence, sense of worth and resilience in us than I actually gave them, not gave them credit for, but then I realized we possessed because we did survive all of that. Yeah. And maybe, you know, your your parents not being around put you in a p- position where you had to dig deep at those things that might have been there all along. But had you not been forced to stand on your yeah. own feet, maybe you'd have never known that. This is something that I struggle with because when I look back on all the big traumas in my life, I definitely think they brought so much to me yeah. in terms of my own ability and what I can deal with. But we both know people who've been through awful things in their lives and have been so broken by those things. Yeah. And how do you know who's going to, who are going to be the ones that, are going to look back at those traumas in a positive light and who are going to be the ones who never come back from them. Like there's no formula for that, right? Well, someone who I've spoken to over the years about different things on parenting issues is Dr. Coleman Nocter. And he has just this past year, well, 2023, published The Four to Seven Zone, which is a great book with a great section on it. So I really wanted him on this podcast, actually. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I love him. I love everything he says and everything he writes, for sure. So let's bring him on. Well, one person that we wanted on definitely to talk to us about this very topic, building confidence and resilience in our teenage daughters is Dr. Coleman Nocter. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Alison. How are you? I'm great. I know this is going to be good, not to put pressure on you, but I know you're going to have a lot to say about this and a lot of really helpful advice for people who are tuning into the podcast. Um, So can I start by asking you, like, obviously building confidence and resilience, and I know they're two separate things, but from the point of view, they're things that we should be doing all along. But what kind of changes in the teenage years that we need to be aware of as as parents of particular teenage girls? Yeah, well, I, I suppose confidence and resilience are 
probably two concepts that one is probably overrated uh, and the second uh, is really vague in terms of what is resilience. Um, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of confidence. I think confidence is very helpful. I think it's useful. But confidence is how you portray yourself outwardly. So confidence is, I can be a very confident singer, hurler, camogie player, dancer. Um, and that's, that's a really nice skill to have. Um, but it doesn't automatically relate to the relationship I have with myself, which is about self-worth. And that's a very different concept altogether. So um, I could be insane singing in front of 80,000 people and they're cheering my, and I do it very confidently, but I could walk off stage and say, that was rubbish. I was no good. So my self-evaluation is much, much more important than my ability to perform. And what I think we're doing is <clears throat> we're overrating confidence or we want people to be confident performers. Um, and our world is moving that way. It's very much a performative society that we live in and Social media, I'm sure we'll get onto that, but that has a huge role to play in it. And I describe it as kind of the Tinderization of society. You know, mm. if you think about your profile as your your picture, your image, your witty one-liner, your interesting hobbies, and that determines whether you get swiped left or right in certain ways. So we have created a world where performance is important. However, the performance is futile if your own evaluation doesn't say i think that was enough or i think i'm okay so i would much rather us invest in the self-worth self-belief and self-value of young people rather than overhamming our need for them to be confident if that makes any sense so um wow. uh, i've seen lots of confident young people sit in front of me who don't want to be on the planet anymore and that's because their relationship with themselves is so poor you know in terms of we can overinvest in trying to appear like we have it all together when inside we're really struggling. And so um, I think that's a different task. And I think parents maybe over-prioritize confidence as well. You know, we see that as a measure of how well our children are doing. But unfortunately, I've met many parents who are like, I don't, I didn't, never saw this coming. She was this, she's so able, she's so capable. She's an A student. She's a captain of the hockey team. She's this, she's that. Um, but nobody was paying attention to how that child was relating to themselves. Does that make sense? And so it, it completely does. And actually, I think maybe that's now going to help all of us reframe because I was thinking confidence. I was thinking it is self-worth and obviously there is a distinction there. So how are we to build that into our kids then? Like, you know, what sort of things should we be looking to communicate with them so that that does become a part of their life later? Yeah. I, I always think it's important to know, that we don't, we're not born not liking ourselves. We learn that over time. So I can remember years ago, I was um, in a barber getting my hair cut and my daughter was with me and she was about five and a song came on and she started dancing around the barbershop completely unaware of everyone that was looking. And I remember thinking, that's lovely. And I, then I thought, that's never going to last. You know, that's going to be taken from her. That I don't care what people think. And as soon as we enter into the world, we start to get assessed, evaluated, unofficially, officially graded, scaled, wherever. And that feedback creates the erosion of our self-worth. And so when you're trying to, it's about protecting it and preserving it rather than inflating it. You know, so the, and there's a saying, this lovely saying, you see, we see ourselves through the eyes of the other. So the feedback that we get matters. You know, we can all say sticks and stones, all that sort of stuff. That's nonsense. Of course it does. It matters. 
And so you want a child to be able to take the feedback, but also have something in themselves that's going to be able to almost counter that a little bit, you know, and there's that old adage that, you know, we need seven positive experiences to undo one negative. Um, And I think as parents, we need to be really conscious of what aspects of the child we're valuing, you know, and again, uh, we're very reward, we're very outcome focused. Oh, you got an A. Oh, you got a medal. Oh, you got a prize. Oh, you're so good at this and so good at that. That's, again, inflating confidence. It's not inflating self-esteem. The idea of you really tried there or I really love the way you're making an effort or, you know, I have two children here. One child is dyslexic and the other is not. And I see them on Thursday nights preparing for their spelling test, you know, and the dyslexic kid and she's a girl and she puts in three times the time trying to learn these spellings and she would religiously every week gets six or seven out of 10. The other guy flies through them and gets 10 every time. And it's really about not rewarding the 10, but rewarding the effort on the Thursday night of what you put into it. Um, And unfortunately, the system where our children are growing up, they are about the medals and the prizes and the accolades. It is like you go to any TY awards night and the same 4% of children will go home with all the prizes. You know, um, the other 96 don't get anything. Um, And so from the point of view of, that, it's about being so funny that you said that, Coleman. If you don't mind me jumping in there, because I've spoken about this before. I also have a son Sorry, and a yeah. daughter, a daughter with dyslexia, who's youngest, and the older one just flew through school with straight A's with very minimal effort, and you know, came out with like really high points. And with him, and he was a really high achiever at sport as well. It was always about the achievements, and that's one of the lessons that I learned through the experience of raising my daughter is that the things that she has learned through that, you know, challenge of dyslexia, like work ethic, like, you know, being able to focus on one thing, like not comparing her results to other people's results, because, you know, we talk to her about that effort. That's one thing that I've learned with the second child that I wish I hadn't done with the first child, because not only is you rewarding the effort you know, kind of building their sense of self-worth. But like what I did with the first child meant that he's now always comparing himself with other people's achievements. And like, there's always going to be somebody more who's achieved more or who's gotten a higher grade or like, there's no, there's no winner of the world, you know? And um, it's something that I see in him and something that I see in her. And that's why I really buy into what you're saying. You've completely blown my mind around reframing confidence and it makes total sense to me now yeah i mean i, I think the relationship you have the most relationship the most important relationship we'll all have in our lives is the relationship you have with yourself you know so it the idea of who decides what's enough well if you can decide that for yourself well then you disable all the power of other people's feedback you know whether well i thought that was good enough or that was that reflected the effort that i put in or you know I gave it my best shot or whatever the case be. That's the, that's the Holy grail. That's the Everest you want in a child to be able to have a sense of enough uh, and be able to, to have a relationship with themselves where they can cut them some slack. You know, the, the idea that, you know, we will love ourselves is it's a fantasy really. I don't, I think we're always very critical of ourselves and harsh on ourselves. Um, but it's about self-compassion and saying, look, I didn't get that wasn't my best hour but look i had other stuff going on or i'll get it next time or and that brings you back to that concept that allison brought up at the start about resilience you know um 
there's a myth out there about resilience that you know, the tougher your life is, the more resilient you become. And I get this all the time. If I ever write something about sport or something, people will say, oh, it's good to be dropped and it drove me on and mm. that was the key mm. to my success. In reality, <clears throat> adversity doesn't create resilience. Your level of resilience determines how you respond to adversity. So the resilience is there first and that determines, like if I was to say to you, okay, well, if trauma makes you resilient, I've seen so many people throughout my career where trauma did not make them resilient, it destroyed them. And so from the point of view of what, where I would see resilience is in, I would describe it as a kind of a social and emotional intelligence that you, and it's almost a, that ability to not sweat the small stuff, to try and realize this isn't the end of the world or to try and not get caught up in something, someone else's narrative about how important something is. The, the most resilient people I've ever met are, they're very measured. You know, they're very, okay, you know, failure is not falling down. It's refusing to get back up. I'll, you know, and having that social and emotional intelligence, that's not done through one conversation. That's done over a decade of, of learning about effort is as important as outcome. You know, you don't have to win all the time. Things, swings and roundabouts happen and, you know, you've had a hard time here, but it'll get better. No sadness lasts forever. These sorts of things that are <clears throat> crucially important to how we manage adversity is the lens through which we see the adversity. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I always use the example of the three of us were held hostage for some reason and, you know, we were released later that night, you know, um, Yourself and Alison might go, oh, my God, I nearly died. I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro, buy a Ferrari, you know, get that piercing I've always wanted or whatever. And I might say, oh, my God, I nearly died. I'm going under my duvet and I'm never coming out. You know, we've both had exactly the same experience, but our reaction has been completely different. And it is about the lens through which we see adversity is determined by our resilience to social and emotional intelligence. And that's why I think we invest in that rather than, continually giving children a hard time to toughen them up. You know, children are not the skin on your heel. You know, they don't get tougher, the rougher it is. It's, uh, in fact, they tend to break when you overstretch them. Um, mm. But there's a very, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, there's a, there's a really important concept for parents, I think, is this concept of surmountable stress. Children need right. to be pushed, right? Not to the point where they break, not to the point where they're overwhelmed, but they need to have some degree of, pressure, stress, and things. And that will differ from child to child. You had you mentioned, Tammy, about the differences between your children. One child might, may, might be able to take a 70% pressure. Another might need 40, then 45, then 50. You know, so you tailor make it. And the, yeah. the, the idea of that there's one way to parent is completely untrue. The flexibility the common... of your skill set is important. What going back to something you said there as well is that I know that when I was I said I was going to do this on the podcast and I was talking to a lot of my friends and it was friends of daughters they're all friends with my daughter and we all did feel like we hadn't done enough to build resilience into the kids like we feel like they kind of crumble we made a joke that my daughter was in the car and there's a kid in front of her and she couldn't figure out how to pull or like this is a bit different like common sense but pull the car seat forward and i was like jesus christ i built a fort made of sticks that survived three canadian winters by the time i was 12 like so we were like laughing about like the resilience that whole idea of persisting with something if it's not necessarily going away right away and we all feel like we've kind of like the kids just go oh right away and we've kind of let them down on that front 
Can I give you an analogy that I use on that? And you you can either say, Coleman, and I'm really looking forward to your feedback on this. You can either say, oh, my God, Tommy, you're so wrong. You need to stop telling that to people. Or you'll say, Tommy, that's profound and brilliant. I'm going to steal it and put it in my next book. OK, because <laughs> I when I'm talking to a lot of parents, I try and like simplify this and bring it back to a baby. Right. So just say a baby is crawling from one side of the room to the other and there's a basket of washing in front of them. A lot of us as parents might see the, the washing in front of them. And before they get there, we just pull it out the way. Right. So the baby just keeps going and gets to where they want to go with no thought that there might have been something that would stop them. If we took a minute and watched how the baby reacted to the washing basket and were there to step in if they were in danger, you might be surprised in that they'll figure out a solution themselves. They might go around it. They might climb over it. They might like call you to move it they might do whatever but then the next time that baby's crossing the room and they see that washing basket they know okay i've dealt with this before i've overcome this before i can figure it out and i feel that that's what builds their sense of self and their own ability to deal with challenges and as you said it's different for every child like how much of those challenges they can take at any one time is that right yeah tammy just that's the most profound existential thing I've ever heard. And I'm definitely going to rob it for my next book. No, it's, no it, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the idea of the snow plowing parent and the helicopter parent is where we remove all adversity so that the child doesn't learn how to manage adversity. And when it inevitably happens, they don't have any skill set to manage that. So, of course, it is much better that we allow them to figure that out for themselves and take a step back and do that. However, I'm kind of... I give parents an out on this one because I think it's sometimes it's about pressure of time and things. It's just easier to do it for you or it's easier to get things done or to do your homework with your child and correct everything that they're doing while they're doing it is um, the, the idea that, and I go back to your comment, Alison, about building forts and living in three days in the woods in Canada, the world your child is inhabits is completely different to the one you were in. Like the, there's, you know, there's centuries where nothing happens and there's weeks where centuries happen. And we're in a time where centuries are changing. You know, the idea of the landscape from which children have to navigate is so much different. Like I can't fathom. There's, there's very little connection to what my experience of childhood is to, yeah. to my own children's, but the, it, it requires a hell of a lot more resilience, a lot quicker. Right. So the issue is childhood is shrinking. So children need to be older, younger, um, and we're trying to escalate that development by making them more. And in doing that, we kind of miss some of the basic stuff like adjusting a chair or, you know, trying to do something that maybe better. We were better at those things years ago. Um, but your children are better at other things than you were back then now as well. You know, they, they'll have different skill sets. But the idea that the idea of setting back and allowing someone to struggle to learn the skill as tammy was saying of negotiation where there's no danger and you're there if you if they need you that's that's ideal because what you're doing is creating surmountable stress and you know surmountable obstacles and they will only learn by doing you know you can't learn how to navigate a friendship by a book you need to do it by failing and getting it wrong and doing all of that sort of stuff the problem is the consequences of getting it wrong are much higher now and especially for girls you know you get one social faux pas and you could be excluded for yeah. months by a concerted 
orchestrated efforts to exclude like the, and so children are almost afraid to make the, the kind of social gambles that they would have been able to do. I could have made a fool of myself in front of my friends. The yeah. five of them would have seen it and laughed. If I do that now, there could be 500 people see it and laugh. And it's, you know, almost a, I get ostracized socially because the impact is so much greater. And so I understand children's trepidation. Um, but the idea of that sense of self is really that that works against that as well because i see 15 year olds 16 year olds and they say coleman i've spent my whole life being who other people wanted me to be and i've never been myself and there's actually very little permission within the world to be yourself you know and in a world that's so we talk about inclusion and we talk about diversity we talk about all of that sort of stuff i still think there's an ordinary level of authenticity that we don't yeah. the children don't have that opportunity yeah. to do um but um, to get back to your point, Tammy, I've always said, you know, the, the goal of parenting is to make yourself redundant. You know, when you're not, no longer required, you've done your job well. So it's the idea of, it's a bit like being a therapist. You know, uh, my job is not to be needed anymore. And when I achieve that, I've done what I needed to do. Um, and again, obviously with children with special needs and things like that, that's not the case. But in most cases, you're hoping that your child will learn and internalize the skills of negotiating the world themselves but they may need some coaching support and yeah. someone there to catch them if they struggle mm. and i think that's more the parenting role rather than moving the basket can i ask you a question then about you does. Know, i'm gonna to have to re-listen to all this <laughs> about practical things then that us as parents could do like one of the things i try and do from an early age is just make them our encourage them to make their own phone calls you know their own appointments that for me is a small thing that builds that like ability to have conversations and communicate with new people you know like getting them to order the chinese or you know to order pizza or make a doctor's appointment and that's one thing but are there other things that you would advise parents to maybe that are risk like low in risk, but really have an impact on their ability to know what they're capable of and what challenges they can endure. And are there some things that you just think, okay, start here. This is something that you can do that will really help your child to know themselves and to have that um, faith in their own ability to, to surmount challenges in the future. Yeah, I mean, the, depending on the age of the child, developmentally, you, you want to escalate as they get older, that they actually take on more. Um, and things like you've described, going into the shop and sorting out and paying something for them themselves and negotiating, maybe ordering a Chinese, that sort of stuff is great. Um, and as they get older, you know, it's almost like providing them opportunities to learn the skills. Like, I, I always, we've spoken about this before, Alison, you know, the cashless society has meant that children have no concept of money because it's tap, tap, tap. Yeah. So when you give a child a fiver and bring them in and take the chain, you're almost teaching them about value and cost, which is something that we won't realize they've missed a step until it's too late in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea, what I would be doing as a parent is being really conscious about the things that I value. Um, and, you know, again, it, it's back to the effort over outcome. It's back to, I think that's enough. I think you did great there. Um, you know, you want a child to be able to prioritize, to know I'm doing too much or I'm doing too little. Um, uh, you know, uh, any child I come, that comes to see me or adult for that matter, when I say to them, they're always doing too much of something or too little of something. 
you never see the people in the middle. And while I think the world is saying we have to be exceptional, you have to be pushed them to the edge, pushed them to the edge. In actual fact, from a mental health point of view, the middle is the safest place to be. Um, and when it comes to study, sport, anything that they're involved in, you know, the kid who does nothing and doesn't involve will get, they'll be visible for that fact. Or the kid who does everything will be, there'll be pressure on them from that fact. That middle kid, that, dare I say, four to seven kid is where you want to be. And, and they will only learn that that's enough if we as parents accept that four to seven is enough. And um, I think the biggest challenge for children at the moment is expectation. I think that mm -hmm. is the, the bane on our society is that, yeah. and I, I used the term before, you know, um, average, we've lost a sense of average. You know, I, I, I'd set you a task tomorrow when someone's asked you how you're doing, say I'm having an average day, I guarantee you they'll say, why, what's wrong? Yeah. Because we've demonized average. Do you know what I mean? Um, most of your children, all of our children will, they will be average, but no matter what the standard is, if you're yeah. in, the, in the majority, you're average. And if you demonize that, then you can sign 80% of the children in this world to feel less than. And less for me, than. that's a problem, you know. We talked about that before, actually, Coleman, and it's a good reminder that we're talking about it now because I am guilty of going off on that kind of, that that journey, I suppose, that a lot of parents go on where you're like, yeah, that's good, but you could do better instead of just doing what you've exactly said, um, which is accept that things are are good for what they are. And it's damaging to not do that otherwise. So it's a good reminder for me as a parent of a 12 year old to do that. And, and I just to add to this, like lots of teenagers who are troubled or troublesome in their teenage years, majority of them turn out fine. You know, they find their way. And I think as a parent who's in the middle of that you kind of think this is each, this is everything, you know, in terms of I need to get this right or we need to get him back studying or we need to do this, we need to do that. Um, in actual fact, we, we need to give young people more credit. They actually can negotiate things far better yeah. than we give them credit for mm -hmm. if we let them. Um, and maybe, Tammy, that's what I'm saying as a parent. The practical thing is to let them, you know, almost yeah. and let them fail. That's really hard. It's really hard to let them struggle. But if they're in a relationship that, you don't think it's going to end well. They have to learn that by that not ending well, not by um, you telling them that that's not right for them, if that makes any sense. It totally makes sense. So I suppose, Coleman, carrying on though, so you've reframed for us what confidence is and you're also made us look at resilience in a different way. Like they are things that we really, they are pillars that our kids as in self-worth and resilience need to be successful adults. And I think in this world, as the reason why Tammy and I are doing this podcast is we're particularly worried about girls. Do you see a big difference in this for girls and boys? Yeah, I'm just pulling up on that sentence about being successful adults. I, mean, I think yes. happy adults probably would go with that maybe instead. But, uh, <laughs> no, but it, it's part of the narrative, you know, to, that, that, that we, what we expect is, is a little bit higher than what was, is maybe achievable and that's okay. Um, so the idea around girls, I think I have a daughter and I worry for her. I worry because the schoolyard politics of girls in particular, um, it's not new. It's always been problematic, but I think they have so much to contend with in terms of navigating that space. And as I said before, you know, the consequences of being excluded or being marked as a social pariah, whatever it might be, are so daunting. And it, 
I see it all the time. I see it so much that children are excluded or removed from groups or dropped from friendships. And that sense of betrayal and that sense of feeling let down really does leave a mark. Um, And I think lots of girls are either afraid to be themselves. And so they become the kind of, I don't mind kid who's kind of, I don't mind, I don't mind, because they feel that by being inoffensive, I will survive this space. Um, or else there's girls who try really hard to be impressive. And by nature of the fact that they're young and teenagers, they get it wrong. And there's a consequence to that too. Coleman, you've really changed my mindset around a lot of this stuff. You know, I've been reading your stuff and following you for a long time and you talk so much sense and that is rare in this day and age. Um, And I know if I've gotten a lot from this, um, other people certainly will have as well. Any final words from you if you just had the ears of every parent in Ireland and was like, and you just wanted to say, please stop doing this or please stop saying that or please stop overthinking this. Is there any big piece of overall lasting advice you have for us? Yeah, I think what we talked about in terms of, I suppose, how we value things in our children's lives and that kind of effort over outcome is really important. I think reducing the expectations on them as well. Um, there's enough out there without us adding to it. Um, reminding yourself that most of this teenage stuff tends to be okay in adulthood and to kind of relax about that. Um, but I, I think from the point of view of we need to stop seeing adolescence as an apprenticeship for adulthood. It's not that. You're not preparing for adulthood. You're a teenager and you have to allow people to do teenage things and that will involve making a mess from time to time it'll involve not having adult attitudes to cleaning your room or to and you'll have different priorities to your mom and dad and that's not because you haven't done a good enough job as a parent and it's not because your child is unruly it's because you're an adult and they're not um and i think reminding ourselves of that from time to time and not seeing adolescence as the adult apprenticeship um is a really helpful reminder of to tell ourselves to cop on a little bit i love that i think that's amazing amazing yeah thank you so much a really important reminder it's amazing to me how quickly we lose that memory of ourselves as teenagers and how like we didn't have a clue either and you know it feels like we don't understand them and it's not that long ago since we were in the same boat but um Look, hopefully you'll come back to us again, Coleman. I know that we'll get loads of questions, so maybe we'll we'll uh, call on you again someday. But for now, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Alison, he's amazing. I know you've spoken to him loads of times, but he is so impressive. But what I love is that everything he says makes sense. He's not overcomplicating things. We're the ones that are overcomplicating things. Yes. Completely, Jamie. And I have to say, like, I've done, he's been on my own program quite a bit. He's helped me write a good few pieces that I've written for the Indoan Parenthood. And every time I talk to him, it's a reset and it's such a positive thing. And I go, I'm going to apply that. So each time it's like, like therapy, you juggle the concepts constantly. And when you have as many in action in play, you're doing a good job. And every time I talk to him, I go, okay, I'm going to throw that into my juggling with Joan and I juggle it again. And it always improves my relationship with her and it improves how I feel as a parent. Yeah, definitely. I'm so impressed. Tell me the name of his book again or tell us the name of his book again. It's the four to seven zone and it's a bright orange color and he only did it, released it in late last year and it's great. 
Mm. And if anyone is like me and they think just buying the books gives us the knowledge, just buying the box does not give us the knowledge. We have to read, read it, read it, read it, just read it. Um, Alison, that's another great episode done. Just to pass on the email address again to anybody who wants to send us any questions, we would love to hear from you. It's podcast at Shona.ie. Anything else you want to say? No, just thanks again for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. And until next time. Take care.